0: Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Alright, if you have not been here before, I like talking. <laughs> i love for you to talk back. Happy New Year! It's great to see you guys. Uh, New Year looks really good on you. looks I mean, I'm really serious. It looks really good on you. Uh, how many people think 2017 is going to be the best year yet? Yeah! I happen to believe so. Um, I love New Year's always. And... Uh, I just love our God, who is a God who has promised and has done the work in Christ uh, to make all things new. I am so thankful that we have a God of new beginnings. And I'm really thankful for his continued promise and the newness of his never-ending love for us in this new year. And I pray more than anything else today, whether you have been here a ton or this is your first Sunday, that you would know that right now, this very moment, God, the eternal creator, the one who made you when you were in your mother's womb, who brought you into life, that he loves you. Yes, we are sinners. You are a sinner, and your sin separates you from God. But his love has done everything from start to finish in giving of his one and only son, Jesus. While you were yet a sinner, Jesus came in his love for you to live the life that you needed to live, that you might have his righteousness, to die the death that you deserved to die so that you would have forgiveness of your sins, past, present, and future. He was buried to put that sin away, but three days later, friends, he rose from the grave. He is our eternal king and savior. He is alive today and he is the giver of new life for all who trust him. God loves you so much that he's done from start to finish all that you need to be brought back to him and to have life, abundance of life. It's what your life was created for to start with life with God that you might have life not by working for God but by trusting and believing and receiving the perfect work that God has done for you that you might have it as a gift of his grace in Jesus Christ. And I just pray that you would know today and every day of this year that his love is enough. His grace is sufficient. If God loves me, there's nothing more that I need. Amen? And that's why I think 2017 is gonna be the best year yet because his love never ends. So anyway, all right, this morning, you wanna know what we're talking about? Money, 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 money. Um, Isn't that exciting? Actually, some of you are like, oh crap, why did we come this morning? Um, especially if you're new. It's like, welcome to ICC, we want your money. No, no, just kidding. We really don't. Um, we don't talk about money all that much, but I am confident, I'm not ashamed to talk about money because it is an important theme of the scripture. Jesus talks about money almost more than any other subject. And it is important because it relates so much to our hearts. Now, some disclaimers before we get started, because I know that you're gonna maybe tense up right now. You have a knot in your stomach. You're looking for the exit. And you're going, oh good, I'm so glad I didn't bring my Christmas cash today um, because I'd have to give it. No, listen, this is not about trying to exact something from you today. It's not about that at all. In fact, I have some news for you, okay? If you think, this is just, this is just awesome. Last year, our church well, if you think that I'm giving this message today to exact something from you, listen. God is a generous, generous God. We went into December with like a fourteen dollars or $15,000 deficit and I am happy to report today the numbers on the screens which show at the end of the year after it all came in December 31st, our balance is this. We are in a $15,000 surplus, surplus for the year. I'm so thankful for God's amazing provision, always uh, for his church. And I'm so thankful for your generosity. God has provided more than we need, okay? So relax a little bit because we're just trusting the faithfulness of God, all right? This is not a campaign to try to make up deficit today, all right? We're in a place of surplus. Isn't that freeing? What a wonderful, wonderful freeing thing. The other thing that I want to say to disarm you a little bit is that the, the giving journey, the journey toward generosity. It is a journey, okay? And so no matter where you are this morning, there is opportunity for you to grow, all right? I am not gonna ask you today to, to surrender over all of your savings accounts and to sign the dotted line to do this or that. I am asking you to move in the direction of God's call toward generosity on your life, whatever step that looks like and how God speaks this morning to move in obedience toward the place that he would have you to be in being a generous person. And that's why I call today's message, a call to generosity, a call to generosity. And I just wanna just be completely honest and transparent because that's like how I'd like to lead here. And just tell you that I haven't always been where I am today and you are not today where you will I pray one day be by God's grace that this is a journey. And I stand before you as a man who just a matter of 10 years ago was, was complete, I just completely misunderstood what God would have for me in this area of finances and generosity. God has redeemed me and he's continuing to shape me. I mean, I was one who was making a lot and giving zero. I would give to special pet projects every now and then that pulled on my heartstrings. But in terms of being an, a faithful, a regular and obedient giver, like that was not even on my radar. I mean, I I remember giving the dollars that my mom, she would hand me a dollar for. We went into church because I was supposed to give in the children's ministry. And that's an important thing to teach children to give at an early age. But in my mind, giving was for people who just had tons of money or for people who just were just super religious people or people who were just in a different position. I always excused myself from giving. And I think a lot of it was I didn't understand the real heart of giving, and the biggest part of it was that I didn't have a right heart with God. And I, my, I didn't have a right heart, therefore, with my money. And God has reshaped me, and he's still shaping me. God has brought me on this wonderful journey of redemption in Christ Jesus, and I'm realizing more joy than ever before in the pathway toward obedient, and and sacrificial generosity, which is what God has given to us and what he desires for us to live in. So I'm just trying to be honest so that no matter where you are today, that you would just relax and listen as we take this journey together. And this is an important Sunday because it is our annual Sunday as we talk about generosity as we look toward the year ahead. So three main points this morning if you're gonna write them down, all right? I'm gonna preach this message different than I preached it before, but it works, all right? Here's the thing, call to generosity. So everybody, you are gonna write them down, yes or no? There's a lot of scripture. You're gonna to have to write down the references and you're gonna go back and look at it later and pray over it that it might be true in your life, right? So three main points, why we give, three main reasons we give. Number one, we give for God. Number two, we give for others. And number three, we give, give for yourself. You're gonna have your eyebrows raised to that one, but whatever, I'll come back to it. Give for God, number one, Give for others, to Give for yourself. So, we're going to start this morning with give for God. A um, few months ago, Michelle has to go into work early, several days of the week, and it leaves me in responsibility for Caroline. And I love our sweet little girl. But, you know, you've probably seen some videos about this, having a dad get a little girl ready in the mornings. It's pretty amusing. It's really funny. And um, sometimes Michelle just laughs at the outfit, which Michelle picks her from school. She'll just laugh at what I put her in, the way her hair's done. It's pretty amusing. But anyway, one morning, uh, Caroline and I were running a little bit late. And so she, I have taught her to love blueberry ego waffles. Anybody with me? Amen. It's one of the best breakfasts you could ever ask for in your life It's just a frozen waffle popped in the toaster. You pull it out at the perfect time and it is delicious. That little crunch, the little blueberries that have been so perfectly frozen, just waiting to be hot again. Um, Oh, it's just great. So she she started to love waffles almost every day. So I pop her a waffle and I give it to her. She eats it we go about getting ready. told you already, we we're kind of in a hurry this morning. So I began to take her to school. and I realized my stomach is hurting because I am so dang hungry. I have been getting her and me ready and I hadn't even had time to eat. So I pop a waffle in real quick as I load her up into the car, put her in the car seat, leave her in the carport for a second. It's okay, babe. And I, I go back in the house. I, I locked the doors, I think. Hopefully nobody would take her. We'll back in the house, grab my waffle, grab my coffee, get back in the car, off we go on the way to school. And Caroline says... I'm so excited, by the way, to be eating the waffle. I'm about to eat this waffle. I love these things. She goes, Daddy, waffle, waffle, I'm hungry. I said, no, baby, I gave you a waffle, you know. You've already had your hot, delicious waffle, and I haven't yet. So this is my turn to have a waffle, you know. It's okay, babe. Um, Daddy, I'm hungry. Ah!" You know, and I'm like, oh, my word, Seriously. So I said, okay, you can have a bite of Daddy's Waffle, but it's Daddy's Waffle, and you've already had a waffle. Daddy's already given you a waffle. Okay, okay. So I give her the waffle. Long story short, she begins to eat. She takes not just one bite, but two, and I'm watching her bites carefully. And I said, okay, babe, can you have it back to Daddy? Well, at this point, we're like coasting down Island Drive, and it's probably unsafe for me to doing what I'm doing, but I'm literally reaching in the back, trying to steal the waffle back out of Caroline's hand because I want it so bad. It was my waffle, and I had already given her one waffle, and she said, I know, Daddy, I'm hungry. I, it's my waffle. And I said, babe, not only have you already had a waffle, Daddy's provided that waffle for you, but also I'm about to take you to school where I've also paid tuition for you where they're going to feed you another breakfast, and believe me, where I'm going to work, they don't feed me breakfast. So that's a good idea though. That's a really good idea. So we should start doing that here. So anyway, we have this conversation. It did not work out or without me go plunging into the Mississippi River. And so sure enough, she finished the second waffle. So I go to work, hungry. Anyway, I tell you that story because um, as I was thinking about this message and especially our first point this morning, gift for God, I began to realize that I am Caroline as it so often relates to my heart and my attitude and my practice and lifestyle with what God has so freely and generously given to me. He gives and gives and gives all that we have, everything. He gives it freely and there's more than we need. He is provided for it by his abundance of love and grace, power and provision in our lives. But somehow we take what he gives and our selfish heart begins to latch onto it. And not only do we want that, but we want more. And even as he asks us to be generous with it or give it back or to give it as a sign of respect and love and show that we're thankful. We latch onto it even tighter, mine, no mine. And granted, I don't think Caroline is an evil little girl but she is selfish. Kids are selfish. And that has to be worked out as we mature and grow and learn and experience the transforming grace of Christ. But aren't we so like that? Aren't I so like that? See, giving for God is this, okay? It's basically understanding that giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. And there's a, four words that I want you to associate with this. It's this, that giving is an act of worship and it means thanks, it means obedience, it means dedication, and it means surrender. As we give, we give for God. We give to say to God, God, you are worthy. You have given us all things and we thank you. We love you. We give it back to you because we want you to know how deeply grateful we are that from start to finish, none of this is actually ours. It's yours, God. We want you to be pleased with our hearts that you might know that we are not selfish but deeply thankful and we don't hold things closed, gripped, but we hold what you give us open-handed in humility because you have given all to us. Giving is an act of worship. A couple of scriptures for you, just to remind you. Ecclesiastes chapter five, verse 19 says, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and accept his lot and rejoice in his toll, this is the gift of God. God gives wealth. Every dollar in your bank account today, every job that you have, promotion that you get, any amount of influence that would yield return, God is the giver of all of it. He is the one who gives these gifts. Romans chapter 11, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him, to all things are glory forever, amen. All things that you presently enjoy are from God. Continue on, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14, but who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer Willingly, For all things come from you and of your own, we have given to you. Even as the people of Israel come to give to God, they say, who are we that we should even pretend like we're giving you something as if we've worked for it, but you have not already provided it. You're saying, we offer it to you. We offer it to you, God, willingly, for everything comes from you giving, here's here's what happens as we give. As we give, something connects in our mind and deep in our heart. We are jolted back to remember that what we have is a gift of God. What we have is not ours to be tightly held onto, but it is God's gift to us that we should share freely, that we should return as a sign of thanks for he is a great and generous God. Giving is also an act of worship and that is an act of obedience. Throughout the scripture, some of you guys have heard the word tithe. It comes from, even before the law was given in Genesis, it talks about it, but especially in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, we see the institution of this, every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. A tenth is the literal translation. It meant that that God was instructing the people that out of what he gives generously from his good heart and hands, that they were to return at least a portion, a one out of 10 portion of that. In that time, it would be fruits of the field, crops of the land, but in our time, it's most likely money from the accounts. He goes on to talk about this more. Nehemiah chapter 10, he talks about it being the tithe of the storehouse. The priest, the son of Aaron, will be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithe and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. The storehouse is the place where the people are fed. The equivalent today, the church, where the place where the people are fed, are nourished. It goes on in Malachi chapter three, verse eight, with some strong language. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And God answers in your tithes and in your contributions. Part of worship is obedience, knowing what God has asked and being willing from your heart, willing to do what God has commanded. And God commands giving. He commands tithing and generous giving to the point that he says it's an act of disobedience, even to the equivalent of saying, it's like robbing me when you withhold what I have given you so freely and asked of you. Is it disobedience? When Caroline went, I say, no, give me the waffle. And of course the analogy doesn't work perfectly. But when I ask for that and she says, no, is that an act of disobedience? I would say so. And in a similar way, God says, give. This part is mine. And if we say no, then it is an act of disobedience. And part of what the Lord wants from us as our good father is to love him enough, to obey him, to respect his authority, to do the things, being willing to do the things that he has asked us to do. But it's not just tithing, it's also beyond that. Because in Luke 21, you remember the day that Jesus saw that widow? He saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, but then he sees the poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Jesus affirms the tithe, but then takes it further, just like he does with all the law. He said, you've heard it said this, and you're trying to check the little boxes, but I'm telling you that what God wants is not just for you to check the box, but for your heart to be so transformed that you have a radically different view toward money than you did before you knew Jesus and his generous grace. God wants your heart. Look at this lady's heart. All these rich people, they're checking the box, putting in their tithes. But I'm telling you, the woman who puts in the lesser amount financially than the others has put in a greater amount spiritually for she has given all that she has. She's given deep from her heart. That's what God is after, giving as an act of worship. Well, we also see giving as an act of dedication and surrender. We see it as a joyful thing. The psalmist, for instance, they talk about in the Psalms, make your vows to the Lord, your God, and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared, Psalm chapter 76, verse 11. You could go on. In Exodus chapter 25, God says, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. Again, it's an act of worship. That's why in Corinthians, he says that God loves a what? A cheerful giver. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every work. Giving first and foremost, this is a call to generosity. And the first reason we should give is we should give for God. Giving, we gotta gotta see this, we gotta see it. It is an act of worship. Like a child with his father, as the father gives generously of all that he has and more to provide for, for his children. We as the children get the joyful opportunity to say to dad, dad, thank you, thank you. We wanna listen to you. We wanna obey you. We wanna recognize that you've given generously to us. We wanna be generous toward you. Lord, our Father, thank you. We praise you. We recognize that all this is from you. We thank you from the bottom of our heart. Don't, we don't wanna just give you the small amount that you've asked. We wanna be generous toward you because we recognize your goodness and your grace toward us. Amen? Giving is an act of worship. Secondly, Giving is an act, well, excuse me. Second reason we give, we give for others. We give for others. And here's what I want you to know with this one. Giving is an act of love. Second reason we give is we give for others. Giving is an act of love. If you've got your Bibles, there is a longer passage that I'm gonna read. You can open them up. It's the 2 Corinthians chapter eight. If you don't have your Bible, you can just follow along on the screen. We want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so she, he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything—in faith, in speech, in in all and speech, and knowledge, and all earnestness—and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. For you know the grace of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this manner, I give my judgment, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, but whoever gathered little had no lack. This is God's word. A letter written to the church of Corinth from Paul, urging them to give toward the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. And he's urging them to join other examples of other churches, like the churches across Macedonia, in giving. Churches that were in a place where economically things were really difficult. They were suffering, but yet out of their their lack, because of the joy and their desire to be a part of helping others and loving and expanding the work of ministry they gave. Paul is urging this church to mature, to add to the amazing work that God was doing in their hearts and in their lives by choosing generosity, generosity toward people with need. And he's saying, let your love show He's saying giving, friends, is an act of love. If you really care about these people, you're gonna give. They need it, you have it. What kind of stingy, selfish heart would it take not to give it? He's saying, let God's love work so deep down in you that you have a concern for others as more important than yourself. And he appeals to the beautiful gospel of Jesus as he issues this call toward generosity. And he says, for you know, friends, the grace of God that you yourself have tasted and experienced in your life if you trusted and received Christ, been made new by him. That though God being rich, he didn't hoard it to himself. God could have done that. But in his heart of love for you, when you were poor and pitiful and naked and destitute spiritually, when you were at the bottom of the pit and wallowing in your sin and shame, having nothing but a plea, a beg for mercy. God being rich didn't hold on to his riches, but he gave everything, everything to the point, not just kind of throwing chump change at it, being a billionaire. It'd be the equivalent of having hundreds of billions of dollars and emptying your bank account completely till it was dry out of love so that you and your poverty might become rich. Not even holding on to his own life, but giving it up. Not just giving it up, giving it up to death. Not just any death, but death on a cross. See the love that the Father has lavished upon us so that we should be called children of God. Amen? This is the generosity of God toward you. Now, what do you think? When that love of God and that grace of God hits your heart and you realize what God has done for you, do you think you can stay as you are? No! You gotta change. God's grace changes us, He transforms us. And he, what Paul's saying to the church here is friends, His love changes us to now be lovers as He has loved us, to be givers as He has given to us, to be generous as He has lavished His generosity on us. We give. Because we want to help others in their time of need. I don't know about you, but I used to think that when you gave to a church, it was like a big black hole that just swallowed up your money and it never came back. Anybody ever felt that way about giving to church? I used to think, I was like, oh my gosh, what a waste of money, like giving to this institution. Like, what is this? Like, And, and, and it was just because I was ignorant and I didn't really understand. And there are perhaps some, some churches that aren't doing what they should be doing. And maybe you should rightly feel that way at times, but listen, I have grown so much to understand what giving is really all about. Giving is about love. Giving is an act of love, it truly is. And I encourage you, like Paul encouraged the church, to realize I appeal for your generosity, for you to loosen up a bit with what God has entrusted to you to become even more radically generous because I want you from your heart to love others as more important than yourself. I want the love of Jesus to so transform you that you find it your greatest joy to give for others who are truly in need. Giving to the church is not like giving to a black hole. All right, it's just not. Giving to the church is essentially redirecting your money to help others. It's the reality of it. God doesn't need your money. He asks for it as an act of worship. Other people do though. It takes money to move forward the work of ministry. There's a couple of words I put on the screen for you. Giving it as an act of love, how so? It's love towards salvation. It's love working in compassion. It's love wanting to see ministry within the church. It's love, love wanting. To fuel mission advancement, you can kind of think of it as a mutual fund. Y'all ever heard of a mutual fund? Some of you guys who have been around the financial world may have heard of that. It's an analogy that I've thought of many times to try to help help people understand what it's like to give to the church. You're basically you're pooling together resources, and you're you're doing that so that you can be smarter and even more effective, even more explosive with return. And we're talking about kingdom return, of course, when it comes to the church. We pool our money together week after week. It's not going to a black hole. It actually goes into a bag. That bag goes to the bank. The money gets used from the bank to fund ministry that helps other people in the areas of salvation and compassion and ministry in the church and mission advancement every single time we give. It's like giving together to a huge mutual fund that's stewarded by the care of leaders and pastors of our church, so that it might have even more explosive and effective impact by giving together and investing together than it would if we ever gave on our own. Isn't that exciting? That's what happens when we give. When you give to ICC, for instance, you help to buy medicines that right now, this week, Cherise Tooley, one of our ICC doctors, is overseas distributing as she shares the gospel of the grace of God with every patient and gives medicines to the poorest of the poor in the villages and slums of Ivory Coast and West Africa, to people who would literally never have the opportunity for medicine if we didn't give it. You give, that happens. Giving is an act of love for the people of West Africa. When you give to ICC, you give to support pastors like me who have given up everything that we might serve you and support you and pray for you and work in the word that we might teach you faithfully, that we might be there in your time of crisis, that we might strengthen and encourage you. you see, when you give, you love me by allowing me to do what God has called me to do with all of my life. Giving is an act of love because you take care of me to be able to do this and our other pastors on our team. When you give to ICC, you give to blessed women who are literally across the street today at Salvation Army who are on the trajectory to overcome addiction in their lives. To get out of the cycle of the oppressive addictions they're in and out of homelessness back on their feet, they are full on pursuing restoration in Jesus Christ. And when you give, you give that we might encourage them, that we might bless them, that we might help them in their time of need and go in and teach them and cheer for them as they come out of those cycles of poverty and addiction. And they might experience the transforming love and grace of Jesus Christ. Giving to ICC is an act of love for those women. When you give to ICC, you give to Chrysidus Erla who's in India. Our team just got back from being with them, him and his wife. Jordan was telling me yesterday as I talked to him on the phone about the beautiful week that they had over there. The incredible godly witness of Chrysidus and Martha who have given their all to see the church grow to the tens of millions of people that have never heard of Jesus Christ. Thousands of villages. He has a vision to plant churches in all of these villages. And he's persecuted and he suffers. The government is now making it even difficult for us to try to get money to him because they're trying to stamp out the work of the church. But Chrysidus and Martha are determined to press on. And friends, when you give, you give to support them and that explosive work of the church growth there in India, amen? Giving is an act of love for Chrysidus and Martha and the people of India. When you give, you give to help internationals like Grace, who just a few weeks ago we baptized. People who have not had the opportunity to hear the love and grace of Christ until they arrive on the shores of America, that we could love and support and develop strategic outreach to people like that so that they might hear the gospel, be transformed by his grace, and take that grace and the news of Jesus to their own people. When you give, you give to help internationals like grace. When you give, you give to keep the lights on this face right here. You give to keep the lights above you right now on the hallway. You, you give that the toilets might be cleaned. And I don't know about y'all, but I've appreciated that lately. Y'all appreciate that? Now that's not what I would call, well, I shouldn't use the word, attractive giving. Okay. Nobody really gets excited about giving to toilets. But what you could get excited about is the fact that this building every day of the week is used for ministry, gospel ministry, that people are in week in and week out, day in and day out, and they encounter the love and grace of Jesus in this place, that we house community ministry, that we are a lighthouse for the gospel here. Now that is attractive. It takes toilets, it takes lights. We give, but that giving is an act of love for every person that comes in this facility, amen? When you give to ICC, you give to people like this next year, we'll hopefully be supporting Mark and Cindy Morris, people who started Refugee Memphis, whose whole lives they have now given over to move into the most impoverished of apartments of our Memphis area. Most of us in this room wouldn't even think about moving there. Your daddy or your mama wouldn't let you. But they're called to live in this poor and rather dangerous place that they might be the welcoming, embracing arms of Jesus. To the thousands of refugees who move into our community, most of them you will never know because they're nameless and they live in the shadows. They are an oppressed group, but they come fleeing war and they're legal, most of them. But even if they're not, we are called not to be about politics, but to be as a church about accepting and embracing people in the love of Christ. That's our mission. And they are there day in and day out welcoming these people who have, some of them lost their fathers, their brothers, their sisters in war. They've been in unbearable poverty and they come mostly from unreached, primarily Muslim countries. And all they know is oppression and burden and darkness because they've never had the chance to hear the love and hope of Jesus. And Mark and Cindy are there to be his arms, to be his mouth, to show his heart. Aren't we thankful for them? Let me tell you what happens when you choose to give. Giving is an act of love for those refugees here in our city. And it's an act of love for Mark and Cindy Morris who've given everything to take care of them. I'm so thankful. Giving is an act of love for when you give to ICC. Students have the opportunity to go on mission trips through scholarships. We scholarship a ton of money to students. Some of of y'all know, y'all wouldn't have gone on these mission trips without that money, right? Some of y'all students, I need to hear an amen now. See, see, there it was. When you give, it's an act of love to these students who have the heart and they are developing the skill that makes them explosive on the mission field. But yet they just don't have the means to go if it weren't for our help as a church body, pooling our resources together to help them go. And not only does it make an impact on the week of the trip, but for many of our students, it changes the trajectory of their lives to be a trajectory of selflessness and not selfishness. Giving is an act of love for the people that will go to serve. Giving is an act of love for them as they pursue God's call on their lives. (laughs) When you give, you give to Kristen Hartler, who this very day is serving in the hospital, taking care of women who are in dire straits, women who are pregnant, who are some of the most depressed women in the world there in Pakistan. And you give so that Kristen can have a house and food at her table tonight when she eats dinner and a little money to spend so that she can survive and a security team and walls around the hospital and medicines that help her with what she's called to. She is ministering in the love of Christ every day in one of the most needy areas in the world. When you give, it is an act of love for the women and the people of Pakistan and an act of love for Kristen Hurtner who's given everything to obey Jesus. Amen should I go on? Maybe I should because I don't know that everybody is feeling it yet. (laughs) When you give to ICC, you support future generations of leaders through our interns here. When you give to ICC, I mean, it goes on and on and on. Giving is an act of love. And you wanna know something that has just, Blown the top off of my desire, Michelle's desire, many people in our church, our desire to be a part of pursuing more generosity. It's realizing that when you give, it's not a black hole. It's not only an act of worship though it is, but it is a ministry to others others who need God's salvation, others who need God's compassion, things that happen within our church and the mission advancement around the world. When you give, ministry happens. Therefore, giving has to be connected to our loving. Giving is an act of love. And I wanna be known as a man who goes to my grave when nobody questions whether or not I loved people well and did all I could with the abundance of what we have. And friends, don't be mistaken, you have an abundance. You have an abundance, but even if you feel like you don't, the passage says others gave out of their need. Give, it's an act of love. Third and finally, y'all thought I may never get there, did you? Ha ha, ha ha, all right, here we go. Give for God, give for others. I get excited about these things, Lakita. She knows, I wish your mom was here. She'd be amening. Third and finally is give for yourself. Does that seem funny? Anybody, anybody seem a little funny? Maybe it seems funny to you if you're taught that. Spiritual life with Jesus is such a bore, nothing in it for you. If you just think of Christianity as just boring religious activity and legalism, you've totally misunderstood it, friends. Jesus calls us to an abundant life with him and his promises are better than you could ever imagine. Better is one day in the courts of Jesus than 10,000 elsewhere. And he gives us more joy than when other people's grain and wine abound. Even in our poverty, we have more than people in their riches. The life of Jesus is a good life. And the more you give, the better life gets. That's fun now. This will entice you, I hope. The more you give, the better your life is going to get. It's just the promise of God. Let me, just, let me just give you some words here. Giving for yourself, here we you go. Giving is an act of faith. We've talked about worship. Giving is an act of worship. I mean, when we give for God. Giving for others, giving is an act of love. Giving for yourself, here, here we're gonna say giving is an act of faith. And here's some words to put with it. Trust, perspective, freedom, and contentment. I just had some indigestion. I ate blueberry muffin this morning and I just tasted it but I love blueberries. So it was fine. Give, <laughs> sorry, if I grossed y'all out, please come back. I promise it's not this bad every week. Giving is an act of faith, trust, perspective, freedom, and contentment. I want to encourage and entice you this morning to give because when you give, things get right with you. And the Lord, and get right with you in life, and you will begin to experience the blessing, the fulfillment of promise, the joy of Jesus that you've never even thought possible. There's a passage I want you to turn to, it's in Luke chapter 12. This will be our final passage of the day, and some of you guys are like, woohoo! Others are sad and I like you. One of the reasons that I really enjoy going overseas to teach in a train is because they sit for hours. I, I've been told they enjoy it. I don't know if they really do, but they sit for hours freely. It's just a pastor's dream. So anyway, one day, maybe one day here. All right. This is in Jesus' ministry here in Luke chapter 12. Somebody's gonna speak up to Jesus is ask a question. We're gonna, it's kind of a lengthy passage. Stick with it though, because he's teaching you here about how giving is for yourself. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told him a parable and he said, "The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And so he thought to himself, well, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all the crops that I have. So he said, I'll do this. I'll open another savings account and another money market and another, wait, excuse me. Uh, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, go retire. Spend the rest of your life on the golf course and be happy. Wait, I'm sorry. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That's what he said. But God said to him, fool. This night, your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on for life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you so anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like any one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you're gonna eat or what you're gonna drink. Don't be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves money bags that will never grow old with a treasure in the heavens that will never fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Aren't you thankful for the words of Jesus? (laughs) I will tell you, you wanna know See, one of the concerns I have here in the South is there are a lot of people who think they're Christians that are not really Christians because everybody just grows up a Christian in the South. But a true Christian really in their heart of hearts puts all of their dependency on Christ on a daily basis. And one of the concerns I have in our affluent culture, and there's nothing wrong with money. The problem is what money does to us is that it distorts our heart, and it makes us more dependent upon money than upon Jesus. It actually is a hindrance to our faith, which is why Jesus says it's easier for for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into heaven, because his riches so distort his heart and his thinking that he's fooled into thinking he doesn't need God, like the man in the parable that Jesus describes. And Jesus is saying flatly, you've got to wake up and realize that life does not consist in the abundance of anything that you have. Like C.S. Lewis says, the man who has everything with God and the man who has nothing with God have exactly the same. Life, it, it does not exist in the abundance of possessions. Therefore, it would be a good thing, an advantageous thing, a blessing to you to divest yourself of wealth so that you can, on a daily basis, live in the sweet simplicity of faith, dependency, trust in God. Do you see that? And he's saying, the way to find freedom is to recognize that God's going to take care of you. You don't need the bank accounts. You don't need the stock market. Listen, you. God will give you money that will not be crashing in 2018 according to something Trump tweets, okay? He can give you money that will do better than that. He can give you money that will do better than when the market soars beyond 20,000. He can give you treasure that's greater than the greatest of all treasures in this world. Just ask Solomon. Solomon had everything, and Ecclesiastes is written so that you might know that life is not about in the getting and getting and getting of everything. For God has already given everything to you. If you have God, that's all you need. So therefore, you would do better for yourself to sell your possessions, give generously, that you might maintain a sweet and simple dependency, true, sincere faith, and a daily walk in Christ. I will tell you that the times I've been closest to Jesus are the times that I've had less in my bank account. (laughs) Would y'all agree with that? It increases your prayer life when you ain't got nothing, but well, nothing. (laughs) But in those times, I can think back in my life. I remember some of those times of poverty and of need and of desperation and praying to God. And but time after time, I got to see God's faithfulness. I knew when something was given that it was God who provided. But ask yourself, those who have gotten out of that time, and some of you who are there, just stay there, it's fine. Let God provide. But some of you who have gotten out of that time, what happens to your relationship with the Lord when you have a lot? Does it lessen? Does it weaken? Does that sweetness of God's provision start to fade? If so, divest yourself for your heart's sake because you need Jesus more than you need money, and your money is tempted to lead you away from that sweet place of contentment in Jesus, amen? That's what Jesus is trying to say. You've got to see the connection where your treasure is, there your heart is. So give your money away so that you're not tempted to put your heart in your money. Put your heart with God. That's why we give our money to God and others to keep our heart in the right place. Cool? One more passage. 2 Timothy chapter six, you don't have to go. I'll just read it. And then we're going to close it out. Man, I'm having fun. Is anybody else having fun? But I'm a little hot. This, This wool sweater is getting to me now. 1 Timothy chapter six. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But listen, if we have food and clothing with these, we will, we can be content. He goes on to say this. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For... The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money, but what? The love of money. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But he's encouraging us. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But he's saying, give money away so you can stay in that place of contentment. Don't be fooled into thinking that the more you get in life, the happier you're gonna be. In fact, it's just the opposite. When you realize that in God, all that, you, all that you could ever want or need is in God. When you realize that, truly realize that and, and just release the desire for everything else. Like Psalm chapter 73 says, whom have I in heaven but you and on earth I desire none besides you. That's Psalm 73, 25, and you would be helped to memorize it. On earth, I desire none besides you. All that I have or could ever need or want is in you, God. And when you release the desire for everything else, let me tell you what happens. Freedom, happiness, joy. I don't, that's not a song, I just made it up. I think the freedom was, that was from Gladiator. Except I was a little bit more high pitched than him, I think. Um, moving on. Some of you were fooled though. You thought I was gladiator standing in front of you. I know, I know. By the size of the muscles under the sweater. Um, just kidding. Don't let the puffiness fool you. Um, if there is a human version of Gumby, it's me. All right, so. But freedom, joy, happiness, true happiness. I have, we had a couple that we were kind of mentoring Kind of indirectly, and this week they've experienced amazing, his business is experiencing amazing success. And I wrote, I felt led this week to just write him because I saw in him myself 10 years ago when I was in the same place and trying to figure out what to do with a lot of increase. A lot of you in this room are going to have a lot of increase. God's going to give you more than you need. How you handle it's gonna make a big difference. But I just said to him, I said, listen, I need you to read this book. I gave him a book and I said it had a powerful role in helping me shape a godly vision of success. I failed miserably in my early years of career and I really don't want you to. I'm so proud of you and I'm so thankful for how your business is starving. but I encourage you to fight hard for your heart and for your health, to stay grounded and happy in God and God alone. As someone once said, the man who has God in everything has just as much as a man who has God in nothing. And I want you to take it from me in my experience. Contentment in God alone is the only truth pathway to full freedom and joy. I wrote him this week about that because it was something that I've had to learn the hard way, but I know it now from experience and I can testify to it that contentment in God and God alone is the only true pathway to full freedom and joy. And when you give, it helps you. (laughs) It helps you because it puts you in the position of greatest heart happiness and greatest health. And you know what else Jesus promises giving? I think there's a scripture there. Go back one to Corinthians. There it is. Point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Another place, Jesus says the same measure you use will be measured against you. If you give, it will be given in return. Jesus promises, Jesus promises that if you give, he'll give more to you. And some of our problem in giving is that we don't trust God enough. We think, how in the world, if I give this, how am I gonna make my ends meet? but that's friends, a lack of faith. For Jesus has promised that if you give to him, he will give back to you even more than you could ever possibly need. See, that is why giving is good for yourself. It is a pathway of ever increasing joy in your heart in your health and in your life. And it may not come here in terms of mere material possessions, but it it will come in heaven. That is promised. Treasure awaits those who give. But I'll tell you what, test God in this. Give and see how he takes care of you. He is faithful and he is generous. Amen. We close this morning with a testimony from two of our sweet, sweet friends. Michelle and I love John and Lisa Rager very much. And they have shared their testimony with us for us to consider as we close our time of worship this morning. And I pray that you will listen. Listen to God and listen to two people who've opened their hearts for transforming work of God in the area of generosity. Their examples. For all of us, you can watch now.
1: We are John and Lisa Rager. Uh, We have been married uh, since March and we have been attending ICC for a little over a year now. And the biggest news we have is we are expecting our first child in March. I think for us, uh, giving has been more of an obedience to the Lord. Um, You know, God teaches us through tithing make him a priority to put him first and, and just to be unselfish and so for us uh, we're to be stewards of his um, resources and um, it's not ours, it's only ours to manage and so for us, um, God has given it to us um, and therefore we can give it to others and I think that's how we view tithing or giving um, as an act of worship you
2: know I think for John and I it's been really really easy um, to give to ICC in particular before we got married um, one of the things that we were both looking at for a church home and for um, a body of believers to be a part of was transparency and honesty but in addition to that we also wanted a church that was missions minded both locally and then international missions and I think to be honest, ICC just fit the bill as far as what that looks like. I mean, you know, in the financial statements, they give 25% away to missions, um, which is well above and beyond a normal church capacity. And it's such a small church. And so I don't think that we necessarily have one example of how, you know, we've seen our resources or just seen what we've given. Being used, I think we've got a number of examples. Honestly, whether it's friends we've made that now work at the church and they get a salary and they have a way of life and they can serve uh, wholeheartedly because they get to work at the church and the church can fund them having a full-time salary, or whether it's local ministries like St. Jude's and just the time and the resources that the church has put into all the local ministries and and the abundance that has come from that, or international missions, which is really you know a heartbeat of mine, and just not being able to be overseas in all of these different countries that need to hear the gospel and need um, to know Jesus, but being able to give financially or give through care packages or through time and resources to all of those missionaries that the church supports. Overseas, I mean, it's it's really been easy um, because ICC's just been so transparent to be able to give and not worry about, okay, where's our money going? Or I didn't see my money being used this week. We see it being used, I think, every day um, and consistently, you know, just with what the church has done. And so I think because of that, it's just, it's been easy for us to give.
1: As we approached our wedding day, ICC came out and said that they were going to uh, have a Financial Peace University class from Dave Ramsey. And so we got pretty excited about that, and we uh, ended up signing up. We knew that, um, again, we we had the same views. However, um, we just knew also in America that one of the top divorce um, causes in America was from financial or money issues with our relationship, So in order to strengthen our marriage, we just figured we would take it. So we ended up taking the nine-week course, and through the nine weeks we talked about debt, but we also ended up talking about different types of life insurance you might need, and then ending kind of on the giving portion of the class. And so for us, through those nine weeks, it really enabled us to have deeper conversation um, and, and allowed us to talk kind of about our plan now, what was our plan in the next few years, and then also what's our, our plan for us for our life. And what we just started discovering is, is that we are debt-free, except for our mortgage and our house. Um, and what this has been able to do for us is it's, it's allowed us to be more focused on others. So um, often they refer to scripture, I think it was Proverbs two seven, and that the borrower is slave to the lender. And when you are um, tied down with that debt, um, oftentimes you can't focus on others because you, know, you focus on yourself. Um, and so for us, having that financial peace and that freedom uh, allows us now to, uh, when we see either um, our tithing to the church or giving to a Christian organization or to um, a, uh, a missionary that, that is in need, um, we really are able to do that without any, um, uh, any hesitation. And I think because of being that free, that's allowed us to be able to love one another more and to be content life.
2: A few months ago, as many of you know, Barrett Approached us with uh, approached the church with a need, and that there was a family that was coming from Quebec and they needed housing for a week. <laughs> that was like two months ago. Uh, and actually, John was at work, and so I texted him during service, and I said, "Hey, can we do this?" And he was like, "Yeah, if you're comfortable with it, sure."
1: And I just felt like this this time that we could give something that it was not financial, but it was a time that we had uh, a place in our home that we were able to give to this family. So. Um, for us, it was just uh, an opportunity that we saw, and Lisa's already had, always had a heart to, uh, to have others our home. Um, I, I knew that from the beginning, and so uh, I didn't know it was going to be quite this soon in our marriage that we would have family. Possibly at times we have seven people in our house uh, one night, I think it was, in our small little fifteen hundred square foot house. But um, so it's been wonderful just to to be able to open up our home and, and to give uh, to a family.
2: And I think too. Just lastly, I think if we were to sum it all up, it probably is that, you know, obedience really does bring blessing, um, and the Bible speaks about that, and you don't really realize what kind of blessings until you take that step of faith, right? Whether it's faith with your finances, or faith with your time, or faith with your resources. The Bible uh, says that obedience does bring blessings, and um, wow, we would have missed out on a really great opportunity if we wouldn't have um, hosted the podcast friends with them and, and walked, you know, an inch of this journey with them that they've been on for over a year now. So it's
0: been it's been really, really sweet. So thankful. so thankful for their testimony. I know you are too. We give it's a call to generosity. We give for God as an act of worship. We give for others as an act of love. We give for ourselves as an act of faith. I just asked this morning, as we move to our time of response, that you get in a position where you can just pray and you can allow the Lord to speak to you and you can speak with the Lord. But that you would really consider um, his call, generosity on your life. First and foremost, that you would recognize his generous love and grace though he being rich poured it all out emptied himself became poor for your sake so that you in your poverty might become rich pray that you would first and foremost just say thank you Jesus thank you God for your amazing never ending lavish generous love for me love that gave your only son Jesus Live to die for the forgiveness of my sins, to be buried, though he didn't deserve death or burial, but then to three days later rise again. That you might give newness of life. Thank you, God, for your generous love for me. And secondly, I would ask that you pray this morning, God, how would you like me to be generous toward you and others? seriously ask God what the next step of faith and obedience is for you and for your family. Whether it's beginning to give something when you haven't given anything at all. Maybe beginning to give regularly when you've just been giving small somethings when you've been here. Setting up online giving, becoming more disciplined or faithful to give even when you're not here. Maybe it's moving into the step of obedience truly trust God and thank God with a full one-tenth of what he has provided for you. Or maybe it's moving from a place of obedience into generosity, giving above and beyond what he has asked out of joy, cheerfulness in your heart, wanting more of what he's given to you to connect with others who are in need. I just pray that you would say yes to whatever God puts on your heart as we respond to him now. God, we thank you, and we pray for your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and lives for your glory. For Jesus'
2: sake, we pray this in his name.